Okay, Jet Vance, Darrell Revis. Is off the board. The New York Jets select Bakai Beckton, Louisville. Pressure just makes you go a little more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select. For the final time of the 2021 draft season, welcome in to another episode of NFL Draft Preview, or should I say NFL Draft Review at this point, presented by Verizon with the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, the draft is behind us. I don't know if you've caught up on sleep yet, but you deserve a pretty big vacation coming up. Yeah, it's coming. I mean, it was nice to, uh, you know, be home uh, yesterday, get home and be with the family for a little bit. And uh, a lot of review stuff. Uh, 2022 mock is up. Uh, I I graded my favorite draft classes. That's up on The Athletic. Uh, The Jets were in the top 10. So, you know, a lot of review kind of as we reflect and go back on what actually transpired over the three days of the 2021 NFL draft. But yeah, there's no doubt. I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime before diving into the 2022 class. You know, a little bit of grill time outside in Ohio. It's getting a little warmer out, get the smoker out, get the ribs going. But before you can do that, we do have to review the draft class. And before we do that, I do want to say what happens now for you in terms of, you know, evaluation. Do you go to 2022? Do you look at pro prospects to kind of reset the barometer and, see what you're looking for in the NFL in terms of evaluating college prospects or what happens, let's say now we're recording May 4th to, I don't know, the start of college football. Yeah. It's a little bit of all of that. Um, because a big part of being an evaluator is you have to self-evaluate. You have to understand, okay, what did I miss on? What did I get right? And that's not just this past class. Um, because you know, I, even if you have a, a player that maybe was graded differently than where he was drafted, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong on that player. Uh, we have to wait and see how these guys are on the field. So going back three years and seeing, okay, what did I miss on? Who turned out to be a good pro? And why was that? Uh, was it just a situation they were in? Was the coaching they received? Or maybe were there some key traits that I didn't uh, you know, really focus on enough? Or you know, maybe it was just... Uh, you know, where he ended up in the support system he had. I mean, so many different variables here. Uh, but it's important to go back and understand, you know, what you got right, what you didn't. So you are a better evaluator moving forward. The NFL game is constantly evolving and you have to evolve with it. So going back and reflecting on past draft classes, you know, three, four years ago, that's a big part of what I do over the next month. Uh, but then also just getting my feet wet with the 2022 class. Uh, what you want to do is set a base foundation uh, with all the seniors, some of the key underclassmen who you think are probably going to be coming be, uh, coming out in next year's class, uh, just set a base and, and get going on those guys uh, so you have a, a good understanding of the players to watch once the season starts. Awesome. Well, we'll be looking forward to your 2022 mock draft, which is up. Go check it out on The Athletic and everything that's to come for the draft next year. But I don't want to get too far ahead because – the draft has happened, right? We got to get excited about the 2021 class. Plenty to get excited the, about. Yeah, okay. The draft is always exciting. You're right. You're right. But we got to let this one sink in a little bit, and then we can let the, uh, I don't know, what, whatever it is, the adrenaline wear off a little bit, and then we can get excited about 2022. Derek Stingley! Anyway, um, <laughs> so with the Jets, number two overall, they select Zach Wilson. No surprise there. Then they trade up from 23 
to 14, nine spots. They draft Elijah Vera Tucker, and then they triple down on offense. They go protection, and then they go playmaker for Zach Wilson with Elijah Moore at 34. What's your impression of the the Jets' first three picks on day one and day two? Well, Zach Wilson, we talked about him at length um, over multiple shows. Uh, just you know the impact in Mike LaFleur's offense, which we assume will be heavily influenced by Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, so really excited to see what Zach, Zach Wilson looks like uh, in the fall. And, you know, a big part of that's going to be training camp. And what developments uh, does he make uh, you know, during training camp and these mini camps? And just is he on pace to be a starter? So plenty of storylines of Zach Wilson moving forward. But I, I can't wait to see him. Uh, you know, his creativity. He's a quick-minded player. Uh, his accuracy, the off-platform throws, uh, the ability to make spontaneous decisions. I cannot wait to see Zach Wilson and just to see him in an NFL uh, uniform to see how that plays out. Um, you know, I don't know what the feedback has been from you know the fan base uh, on the trade up in the first round, but I love the move. You know, we talked about the fit of Elijah Vera Tucker and how perfectly he would be as a plug and play guard it, with this team. He's got Pro Bowl potential, uh, and just what would it mean for a unit uh, that offensive line as a whole. Uh, but we also talked about how no way he was making it to number 23. So you package two third-round picks and go and get them. I love it. I, I think the greatest downfall of the, of the Sam Darnold era was the lack of help around him, specifically on the offensive line. Joe Douglas has picked three times in the first round as an NFL general manager, two of those offensive linemen, Mekhi Becton and now Vera Tucker. So he has made it a priority that he's going to give his quarterback the supporting cast necessary to develop uh, the, the young talent. So Vera Tucker is always under control. You don't see him stress on tape. He keeps his block centered, balanced. Uh, he moved the left tackle this past season, but I think he, he's a more natural guard. That's where his long-term position is going to be. And, and something I love about the Pac-12 uh, is they have this uh, a trophy called the Morris Trophy. It's awarded to the top offensive and defensive linemen in the conference each year, and the players vote on it. So the defensive linemen in the Pac-12 vote on who think they think is the best offensive lineman in the conference, and they voted for Vera Tucker last season, which obviously says a lot when the award is from your peers and when they're voting on it. So pretty cool there. And then, you know, speaking of Douglas looking to support the quarterback, not only has he picked offensive linemen in the first round back-to-back years, he has also now taken wide receivers in the second round in back-to-back years. So again, prioritizing the supporting cast of the quarterback more, not very big, five nine and a half, 178 pounds, but he's explosive. You love the speed, the ball skills. It all makes up for you know the lack of inches. Uh, he's force-fed the football in Lane Kiffin's offense last season. He responded in a big way, 10.8 catches per game, 149 receiving yards per game. He was basically a flexible chess piece for them. And I think we'll see the same with, uh, with the Jets. Line him up across the formation, backfield, slot. He can go out wide. Uh, you know, you can get in the ball in different ways. And so I, I'm really excited to see how he's used and just what type of role they have in, in store for him. You have me juiced up over here, Dane. I mean, you think about where this team was before the draft and even before free agency, and then you take a quick snapshot. I mean, think about the receiver position for a minute. Adding Corey Davis, Keelan Cole right now yeah. on your roster you have Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore, and then you have your the you have more guys on the roster like Vincent Smith, Braxton Berrios, et cetera. But this position feels like has gone from an area of perceived weakness to an area of strength with the depth there. 
And then you talk about up front with Makai Becton, let's say hypothetically Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard next to Becton, Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten, George Fan, as it stands right now. I mean, what do you think of the way that the offense is coming together for Zach Wilson? And I'm sure we're going to talk about a certain running back here in a couple minutes as well. Well, what I loved about, you know, you just rattled off the names on the wide receiver depth chart. They're complementary talents. I mean, that that is that is so key for, for this offense is, you know, not only do you have your X, Y, and Z, not only do you have, you know, your flanker, your split end, your slot, but you have a veteran in Corey Davis. you got a second-year guy in Denzel Mims. you got a young rookie ready to uh, go, go hit the uh, ground running. You, you've got these complementary talents in very different ways that I think you could be optimistic about. So that, that I think that fits really well. And then on the offensive line, I mean, I'm just, if we put Vera Tucker at left guard, that's going to be a lot of fun. When you talk about the left side of the offensive line, guys that are going to kick butt and, you know, do it for a long time. They are entrenched as the starters there. And then the rest of the offensive line, I, I think it's, you know, there, there's a, a belief that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to mix and match as they try to get the best five offensive linemen out there. But there's no question that 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 offensive line is in much better shape than it was uh, even just a week ago. All right, well, let's move to the backfield. The Jets gave up their two third-round picks in the trade to move up nine spots. And then at pick 107, the top of the fourth round, they select Michael Carter out of UNC, who, to your credit, you mocked to the Jets at 107. Yeah, look. 5'8", 200 pounds. Um, I, I just really loved the idea of just plopping him in that backfield uh, because he brings something a little bit different that I don't think that backfield had uh, when you talk about a problem-solving back, a, a guy that has a little bit of juice, who has vision, who can be on the field in any situation. Uh, he was so productive in college. He had uh, you know set records for rushing yards per game. Uh, in in his career, in a single game, in a single season. I mean, this guy was nothing but productive, that low center of gravity. So, yeah, he's smaller at only 200 pounds, but that low center of gravity really helps him change directions, bounce off tackles. Uh, and and I, I love how you know he marries his eyes with his feet. So he knows where those blocks are coming. He can anticipate and he's able to execute. So, look, this is a guy, a problem-solving back, a skilled athlete. And, again, keep him on the field in any situation. Yeah, he's a little undersized, so, you know, the blocking is going to be a little hit or miss. But as a pass catcher, as a rusher, there's a lot to like about him. So, you know, he, he might not be a bell cow, but he's going to complement, again, another time I'm using the word complement, with wide receivers and now the running backs, he's going to complement what's already on the roster with P Ryan and, you know, Howard and, and those guys. So it, 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 it's going to be an interesting fit how they use those runners. Were you surprised or would you have been surprised at all if Elijah Moore went in the first round and Michael Carter went in the third round? Because it sounded like when Joe Douglas made the call to both of those guys that they were sweating out the end of the first round and they were sweating out the third round. I was very surprised Elijah Moore was not called on Thursday night. Very, very surprised. Um, I, I thought there was a good chance that he was going to go above Tony, that he was going to go above Bateman. Both those guys ended up going in the first round. And, hey, you know, sometimes that happens. There's only so many spots, and a, a position like wide receiver can get squeezed out. And, and you know, that's the, to the Jets' advantage. They were able to get – and that, that's one of the advantages of having one of those early second-round picks because you're able to sit there and say, okay, well, who's going to fall to us? And a guy like Elijah Moore falls, 
tremendous value there. Um, and then, yeah, Michael Carter, one reason I didn't like mocking him to the fourth round is I didn't think he'd be there. I, I really didn't. I thought, you know, this guy, there's a lot of teams that had their eye on him in the second and the third round. Somehow he slips through. And, and again, the Jets stay put, let the board fall to them, and they get a pretty good player. You know, the Jets afterwards, when Joe Douglas was talking to the media, he said that between Wilson, Vera Tucker, and Elijah Moore, they were all top 20 players on their board. So just something to keep in mind there that the Jets were very happy with how the board fell out. And then they rounded out the draft. They had three picks in round five, three picks in round six. And I think I'm about to sneeze here, but I can't really tell. It's allergy season, so hold on. (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. So they had three picks in round five, three picks in round six. And I'm going to couple some guys together here. So let's start with Jamie and Sherwood, a fifth round pick, and Hamza Nasraldine, a sixth round pick. Both played safety in college, but they turned in the cards as linebackers. What do you think about them two fitting into this Jets defense? Yeah, two really interesting players because, you know, one of the biggest worries with them is okay, where do you play them? Uh, a guy like Hamza Nasraldine, 6'3. 215 pounds. You just don't see many 6'3 safeties out there, uh, but he moves well. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has production. Uh, he had over 100 tackles in 2019 uh, before he ha- suffered the ACL injury this past year, 2020. Basically a lost season for him. He played two games, but he was still working his way back from, from that knee injury. So he falls a little bit because of the lack of fit, because of the knee injury, and just tremendous value at that point. The main similarity with these guys, they're both really, really long players. They both have over 34-inch arms, which is crazy length uh, for that safety or that box safety linebacker uh, role. So Nigel Dean, you know, it's great value at that point. Sherwood's interesting because he he talked to the coaches last summer at Auburn, and they raved about this guy and just the impact that he was going to make on their defense and in different ways. They were going to use him as a matchup defender, let him play a more traditional safety role, but also let him, you know, bring him down in the box, you know, let him uh, do some different things. And and that's where I think that you're looking to maybe put on some weight and and make that transition to a full-time linebacker. Uh, You know, he, that versatility is going to be key. You want to tap into that. Um, You know, he didn't have a ton of ball production. And so, you know, coverage wise, I'm not sure what he's going to give you. He's not that sudden athlete. He's a four, seven speed type of guy. But, you know, he the anticipation that he plays with, uh, you know, his his quick minded uh, movements, the length, the aggressiveness. I, I like that a lot. And so he's physical uh, and he knows where to be uh, on any given play. So I think he gives you a little bit of versatility. Both these guys do. And it'll be interesting to see how they you know, when they go to training camp, where do they line these guys up? Which meeting rooms are they also going to some of the defensive back meetings? Are they trying to maybe hedge their bet a little bit and say, well, let's let's do a little bit of both. So it's going to be very interesting to watch the trajectory of both these guys. And can you talk about the transition a little bit? Let's say they turn in the card as linebacker. So we're assuming that they're going to play linebacker in this 4-3 system. And that safety's room is pretty, pretty crowded, to say the least. So how difficult of a transition is that considering how they played in college? Because Hamza Nasraldine led the Seminoles and tackles back-to-back years. So... It seems like he's a box safety. Same with Sherwood, like you said. How difficult of a transition is it to go from box safety to full-time linebacker? 
Well, so much will depend on what they they ask them to do. So if they use them as more of, you know, an overhang linebacker where you're playing in space and you're able to just be a run and hit player, then I think it'll be more of a natural transition where, uh, you know, there's going to be different sight lines. There's going to be different ways that you have to use your eyes and different keys. But, you know, if you're going to be in space, that's where they need to be, then they're going to be in good shape. If they're going to use them more as a stack player where, you know, you're, you're going to try and use that length to work off uh, contact, work off blocks, and uh, kind of work through the weeds. That's that It could take a little bit of time because there's going to be more of a crowd. There's more bodies in the middle of the field. And so uh, that might take a little bit more of a transition. So I would expect them to use them as more overhang players, keep them in space, let them run and hit. And I think above all, both these guys on special teams are going to be impact type of, type of players because they have the speed, they have the length. Um, and so that's what might might keep them on the roster is what they do on coverages. All right, Dane. I want to I want to have a little fun here, a little exercise. And I'm looking at this player that has experience in the Seattle system. That might have tipped my hand a little bit, but whatever. This player, 6'3", 225, 33 inch arms, nine and a half inch hands. It's hard to exactly find his combine statistics, but four six two forty yard dash. Uh, let's go with that, and then. 22 reps, reps on the bench press. Jamie and Sherwood, similar. Pro day, 6'1", 216, 34-inch arms, 10-inch hands, 40-yard dash, 474, 36 uh, vertical jumps. So, and Hamza, Hamza Nasruddin in that same ballpark. So, mm-hmm. who do you think that the first person was that I said, and then I'll, I'll ask my question. With the size dimensions that you laid out and the Seattle connection, I'm, I'm guessing it, uh, is that uh, Cam Chancellor? That's correct. So okay. Cam Chancellor, of course, played safety for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. but And Sherwood and Nasruddin played safety in college, but now expected to play linebacker. I'm not trying to compare what Cam Chancellor was at his peak in the NFL to these guys, but they seem like they have the blueprint, or all three of them share a blueprint in terms of height, weight, and speed, and do you think that's a fair comparison in that sense? Well, I, honestly, I think the one issue with Sherwood is, does he have the speed to play that type of role? Because, uh, you know, he's not a sudden athlete. He's more of a see it and go. And he's, he's a good athlete, but, I, yeah, he ran in the four sevens, and so that, I think that's the kind of the worry with Sherwood. But I, I think when you talk about a guy that has the instincts, someone that understands his keys, someone that – uh, you know, can read coming downhill, uh, that matches up well with uh, when you talk about a camp chancellor. Um, and then with Nasruddin, uh, you know, he's uh, he's more of that speed guy, like a, like a chancellor who can fly downhill and make plays, but can also play a little bit in reverse where uh, you don't want to line him up and, uh, you know, have him cover tight ends, be that matchup defender. Uh, you know, he's not going to necessarily hurt you. Uh, doing that. So I don't know that either one's like a perfect apples to apples comparison, but I do think besides just the, the the size, there are some similarities you could draw from each of those. All right. So with that being said, the Jets drafted three cornerbacks, Michael Carter, the second Jason Pennock, Brandon Eccles, all three tested very well. What do you think about them as prospects? Yeah, the second Michael Carter uh, draft pick in this uh, this class, which is just kind of funny. Uh, it, 5'10", 184. Um, I, you know, I, he was a guy that a little undersized, uh, and I wish he played bigger than he looked. Um, and not the most sudden player, 
but I really liked his read-react skills. I, I think that he's able to drive on plays in front of him, uh, love his ability to go and compete at the catch point. He had uh, double-digit passes defended this past year, and I liked his versatility. He played across the formation, uh, played a little bit everywhere, uh, you know, nickel, outside, a little bit of safety, and he also played on uh, special teams coverages all four years. So you're getting a guy that, uh, you know, has the chops on, at uh, in the secondary to help you out at different spots, but can also help you out on special teams. So understand that pick. Uh, Jason Pinnock, uh, you know, he's more the bigger athlete, 6'1", six, six foot and a half, 204 pounds. Uh, you know, he, he's, I thought there was a little bit of feast or famine to his game where you see the size, you see the speed. Uh, you see the ability to when the ball is in his area, he's going to go up and make a play uh, six interceptions over his career. Uh, love the toughness that he plays with. And, and so I think that's something that's really going to stand out and, and during training camp, something that's going to stand out on special teams coverages. He just needs to be a little bit quicker with his route anticipation to understand what the offense is doing. If he can speed that up and play with a little more urgency, then it wouldn't be surprised at all. If Pinnock's able to stick uh, with this team in, in the secondary and then Brandon Eccles, this is purely athleticism. You know, a guy 5'10", 180 pounds, doesn't have great size, but 4'3 athlete. Uh, he jumped out of the place, 42-and-a-half-inch uh, vert, 11'4 broad. Uh, his pro day was remarkable. He's got an offensive background, and so, you know, you can tell he's still piecing things together uh, on defense. Former Juco guy, played two seasons at Kentucky. Um, you know, the, the inconsistent technique, the inconsistent eye discipline – it matches up with a player who's still relatively new to the position, but he's a physical competitor. He he will show up versus the run. Uh, I think there's special teams value there. And it, you don't just say this with every late round defensive player that's drafted. Not every one of those guys has special teams value, but I think a guy like Eccles does because the speed, because the toughness um, on defense, he needs to iron some things out, but he's a guy that's, you know, he's still developing. I think the player that he is now is not the player he's going to be in two years. We have a chance to see a big, uh, you know, a, a good amount of growth there because of his athletic traits, because of where he can be. He might be a practice squad guy. I don't know if he's going to make the final roster, but regardless, he's the type of, of player that you bet on the traits and see where you can get with them once you get him to camp. Well, you mentioned the traits. It feels like all three of the guys that you just laid out have interesting traits at the same position. What do you think about that approach in terms of drafting what seems to me superb athletes in their own right yeah create competition with uh big time athletes i mean that that's what they're doing here and i think each one offers maybe a little something different with carter i think you're getting a little more versatility because he can play across the formation slot a little bit of safety nickel looks um so i think with michael carter you're getting a little more versatility uh with pinnock you're getting a little more size a, a guy that you know is going to be more of a matchup defender um, and then with Eccles, uh, just the pure athleticism. Like, all these guys are athletic, but Eccles kind of takes it to another level. And he probably has the highest upside of the group. And so maybe, you know, a little more of, uh, you know, he, he's got the longer, uh, you know, bigger gap to fill until he gets there. But the upside is there. If you if they're able to be patient with him, keep him on the practice squad for however long, bring him along at his own pace. Eccles has that potential that, uh, you know, he might end up turning into something if they can uh, be patient with him the next few years. And do you think Eccles has the, could be the biggest contributor on special teams from the get out of those three guys based on just pure athleticism and traits? I think honestly, any of those three uh, would not surprise me because I think they all have the athleticism. They all have toughness. So while I think all three can play on special teams, 
Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see the, you know, the cut down period. And, you know, once we get to training camp and uh, how they, they decipher these guys versus who they have on the roster already, it would not surprise me if any one of those three uh, or multiple of the three make the final roster squarely because of what they do on special teams. All right, well, let's wrap up this draft class. In the sixth round, pick 207, the Jets addressed the defensive line with Jonathan Marshall out of Arkansas. What's intriguing to you about him? Well, he's an interesting player because he really wasn't on the radar coming into this year. He had zero starts to his name going into his senior year at Arkansas, becomes a starter, became a team captain, and really, really blossomed. And I think part of it is, you know, he had four different defensive coordinators over his time at Arkansas, which really stunted his development. But when you watch him this past season uh, on a senior tape, you see power in his upper body. You see quickness with his lower body. Uh, a guy, when he times up the, the snap, he's able to create movement. So, and he's a guy that played multiple positions, inside, outside. Uh, and like I said, a team captain, a, a guy that uh, the coaches vouch for, they go to bat for. Uh, they say he's powerful. They say he's reliable. So there's a lot to lay out about Jonathan Marshall as a depth piece and a guy that really has yet to play his best football. You know, his athleticism, we talked about the corners, but it seems to me that his testing numbers are freakish. Yeah. For a guy that's 310 pounds to run a 481 in the 40, but also have 36 reps in the bench. I mean, how many defensive linemen, how many 310 pounders do you think there are in the NFL that are ripping off 481 in the 40, but also 36 in the bench? It's probably an exclusive list. Uh, and, and so it also checks boxes for the football character, uh, checks boxes for the versatility. Uh, I mean, you can understand why the Jets, uh, you know, took a guy like this in the sixth round. And it wouldn't be a surprise if he ends up outplaying that draft spot. Based on what you just said, I'm glad you mentioned that because you think about the situation that he walks into with Quinn and Williams, Sheldon Rankins, Foley, Fadokasi, Carl Lawson, Vinny Curry on the outside. There's, there's more guys that I can mention here, mm -hmm. but it seems to me that if you were an interior defensive lineman and you wanted to handpick where would be best for you, the Jets would be on the short list. Would you agree with that? And you think that this is a good situation for him to maybe learn from and then when his number is called, outplay his draft uh, selection? Yeah, I think that makes sense. You could certainly make that argument because, you know what, his inexperience, you know, only 10 starts, it shows on tape because there are times where he's a little late to leverage a point of attack or, you know, he needs to do a better job with his hands uh, to win. And so he's still still learning that, still kind of piecing things together. He's not going to be a guy that comes in from day one and just flashes from the get-go but you could see him getting there. And because he is coachable, because he has a lot of the traits that you're looking for at the position, going to a situation where he can you know, sit, learn, develop at his own pace, but still work his way into the rotation, I think the Jets make a lot of sense. Dane, if I were to ask you what stands out to you about this Jets draft class as a whole, what would your answer be? Well, I, first off, you know, we mentioned it at the top, but focusing on uh, helping the quarterback. I mean, th really the last two drafts, you know, with, uh, you know, Joe Douglas in the first round drafting offensive linemen back-to-back -back years, then drafting wide receivers back-to-back -back years, get your quarterback help and, it, you know, create competition at those positions where, you know, it's just going to look completely different compared to what past quarterbacks had here. So I think focusing on offense early, 
uh, in the first four rounds and then focusing on defense in the back half uh, of this draft with some really quality uh, players who all of them, you know, tested really well. They, I think they all check boxes. And this is something that, you know, you know, with Joe Douglas, he wants smart, tough, physical football players. That, that That's Joe Douglas. And I, I think with, you look at what the defensive guys they added on day three, I, I think a lot of that matches up. So, you know, I, I think they match the identity of how Douglas wants to build this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I was going to ask you, I was going to say, who's one player in this class that you think could outplay or that you think is likely to outplay where they were selected? My thought was you'd probably immediately say Michael Carter at 107. So I'm going to say, it, first of all, is that is that accurate if I had, if I had said that? You know me well, Ethan. Okay. All right. Woo. Here we go. This is what happens. Two seasons in the books of what was Brugler's draft board into NFL draft preview presented by Verizon. So anyway, how about the defensive lot of players? Who's between Jamie and Sherwood, Michael Carter, the second Pinnock, Nasraldine Eccles and Marshall. Who's the guy that you think has the best chance to outplay where they were selected and maybe even be a day one contributor, if not a day one starter for the jets in 2021. Well, you know, I think those are almost two different things. Because if you're going to ask me just long-term who has the best chance to outplay their draft spot, I might go with Jonathan Marshall just because I think he still has a lot to learn. And you're talking about a guy, 6'3", 310, who moves well, who's powerful, and is coachable. So I think that long-term, he might be the guy that outplays his draft spot. But then the second part of that question was, you know, a, a guy that can do that but also start from day one and add some, you know, some type of value to this team – then I think it's probably Michael Carter because he's played a lot of football, 36 career starts, um, you know, his versatility throughout the secondary, the ability to step in, play inside, play outside, uh, the grittiness that he plays with, that toughness that you need for nickel work, he has it. Uh, you know, he can play and run support. Uh, he's not afraid to crowd receivers and make them uncomfortable. So those are the type of traits that I think plays plays well early. Now, long-term, you know, he needs to iron out a few wrinkles in order to stay on the field and, uh, you know, reach his full potential. But a guy that could step in and, and make an impact early would not be surprised at all if it's Michael Carter the second that's able to do that. And that is a wrap on the 2021 season of NFL Draft Preview presented by Verizon with the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, it's been a pleasure as always, and we'll talk to you next draft season. Pleasure was mine. Thanks, Ethan. 